three days ago, I added a new amendment to the Ferengi Bill of Opportunities, giving females the right to wear clothes. In public? Anywhere we want. That can't be the good news. If Ferengi females can wear clothes in public, then they can leave their homes. If they can leave their homes, they can go to work. If they go to work, they can make profit. What's the matter, Quark? Afraid of a little competition? Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and I am here today with Jara and Grace. Hello. Moogie! <laughs> so we are talking today about the Ferengi feminist revolution, as we like to call it. But first, we have some feedback, some emails from listeners about our Lady Captains episode. So the first one was from Connor, who said, um, I was really bummed out that you all skipped over Captain Lisa Cusack from the Deep Space Nine episode, The Sound of Her Voice. I know that we never see her in action, but as far as adding to the canon, this is a complex Lady Captain that the DS9 crew are all but psychoanalyzing. We learned so much about her. She was off exploring the Beta Quadrant and all that epic adventure jazz. And yes, the crew is playing the Rescue the Damsel role, but they fail. Captain Lisa Cusack dies a horrible, lonely death. It's pretty tragic, but that's a really good character. Um, so thanks, Connor, for that. That was totally my fault. I was the one putting together the outline, and I based it on a list of captains based on who had photos. Aw, because she nev- we never see her face on screen. Aww. I know. And it is a really good character, but um, I'm sure that we will come back to her in a future episode and give her the oh, attention definitely. that she deserves. The reason we didn't really get into her was we didn't remember her until the very end, and then none of us had really watched the episode recently, so we didn't want to give her short, shorter shrift than she deserved. Okay. This email is from Airwid. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. On the topic of the comments about Janeway not being able to have a relationship compared to other captains, I have a few thoughts. Janeway's attitude towards relationships seemed, at least to me personally, to be more about not having a relationship with an officer or crew member, which most of the time was all she had to work with, given their situation. She always was really strict about certain principles, except for the rare occasion when the writers decided she wasn't. So I think it's very much in character, although I think developing the thing with Chakotay would have made more sense considering the writing early in the show. As I recall, and I might be wrong, of the few relationships Picard had, the only one which involved another officer or crew member was the one with a piano-playing science officer, and I seem to recall that she had to transfer because Picard could not be Mm -hmm. entirely objective when she was involved. I have thoughts on that. But... Kirk was just Kirk in an era where things were not nearly as formal and structured, and I think even he usually did not end up with Starfleet women. So what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) So, well, that that episode that's being referenced for Picard is called Lessons. And what do we learn from it? Um, We learn from it that (laughs) she's evil. (laughs) And that roll-up piano, that's a real thing It's pretty neat. Um, I can't remember her name now, and that's the worst, but that, that character has been vilified in... (laughs) <laughs> in, in the Picard Crusher community, not surprisingly. Um, just like all the rest of them, let's be real. But when, when taking Picard's individual relationships, which just like the Kirk show we're going to talk about at some point, his he's, he's not very much better. Like the only reason we see any of them more than once is because Vash just keeps showing up. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that it is a good point, though, about Janeway, because, yeah, she didn't really have a lot of people she could choose from that wouldn't present her with a conflict. But Cisco dates Cassidy, and there's a bit of a weird thing later on where, you know, he decides he can't really have her on the Defiant during the war. Um, but only because it's like her being in his workspace just has weird dynamic. It isn't that he's worried he might accidentally order her to her death or something. <laughs> Um, with Janeway, I think it goes beyond just crew members because um, there's the episode's workforce where she falls in love with that man. And at the end, she sort of is like, well, you could come on board, but we couldn't have a relationship. And in that case, he wouldn't be an officer. He would be a civilian on the ship, which would put him in a similar situation to Cassidy on Deep Space Nine. Um, but I mean, it still doesn't mean there wouldn't be issues because you're all alone out there and your main goal is to get home. So it's not like if you broke up, you could avoid seeing each other. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, if you pardon my language, a shit where you eat kind of scenario right there. But at the same time, <laughs> they keep running into all those aliens. Like think of how many, you know, just exotic space chicks you see flirting with Tom Paris. Why couldn't Janeway have gotten a little bit of that action? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, she allows other people on the ship to do it. And she just kind of says, I can never do that because I'm the captain. Maybe it's a self-confidence thing, but that makes it really sad. Like, oh, I could never just hook up with someone. Oh, gee, I'm Janeway. I don't know. We don't know. Well, we know a little bit from the real world perspective, right? Because apparently Kate Mulgrew has said that the first few seasons of Voyager... She was very adamant about certain things with Janeway's character. She didn't want the love interest. She didn't want, like, typical feminine stuff for this this character because she felt like there was so much pressure on her as, you know, the, the first woman heading a show for Star Trek as the captain. And as she, I think she said at some point, she just went to the writers and said, you know what, she's just like any other captain now. And I think that might have been when we started seeing the weird relationships on the holodeck and, you know, computer delete the wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was uh, better than Chakotay giving her back massages and passive aggressive legends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we're um, planning a Janeway-centric episode in the near future, so I say that we we save up all our Janeway discussion for that. But thanks Ooh, very yes. much for the fan mail, uh, Connor and Erwid. We also had a couple folks write in to just quickly correct something from our Romulan Women episode, which is that we stated that you don't find out until Star Trek Nemesis that... Uh, the Romulans kill babies who are disabled. Uh, but actually, it's in one of the episodes with Jordy and the Romulans where he's on a planet with the Romulan and the Romulan says if he was born blind, he would have been killed. So that is in TNG. Uh, apologies for the wrong information. Don't you love that we can crowdsource our fact checking, though? Totally. Yeah. Yay, fans. Thanks, guys. Keeping us informed. So Ferengi? Ferengi. Ferengi. So from the audience perspective, we first meet the Ferengi in season one of The Next Generation in The Last Outpost. Yeah. And they were supposed to sort of be the new big threat to replace the Klingons to act as, as they did in TOS. That didn't work out so well. But no. 
No, it did Before not. we go there, the Federation, or I guess pre-Federation, actually meets the Ferengi for the first time, even though they didn't know it, in the Season 1 Enterprise episode, Acquisitions. Yeah. And I watched that recently, and I know Jarrah watched it recently, so I'm going to let you talk about it. Oh, Lord. Uh... <laughs> you know that's going to be a good start when you hear, oh, that. I was actually excited, because for some reason in my brain, I thought that th- this was a season four episode, and then I realized it was in season one, and I just went, this is going to be terrible. And I was right. Um, womp, womp. So really, like, the Ferengi meet Trip in his underwear. <laughs> and... <laughs> They were going to offer him some goods, but they saw he already had some. Oh my god, Grace. Uh, This is the episode where um, they cast a few amazing actors as Ferengi. Like, we get Jeffrey Combs as a different Ferengi and Ethan Phillips. Um, And they they knock out everyone on the ship, except for Trip, who is in the decontamination chamber in his underwear. And they are trying to steal a bunch of stuff from the ship, including women, because women are stuff to the Ferengi. Uh, so they come on board the ship and uh, Trip sort of has to figure out, along with Archer, who um, gets woken up so that they can make demands of him, how to deal with the Ferengi. Um, and one of them is super creeping on unconscious to Paul, and it's just uh, so gross. Something new and different. Paul is there to be ogled. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple weird things about this episode. The Paul thing actually, I have mixed feelings about it because I find it, I found it really disturbing where you see the Ferengi hauling all this stuff back to the cargo bay. And then you see this pile of unconscious women crew members, including T'Pol and Hoshi. And it's just really like a hard image to feel as funny. And uh, the one of them, who I think is actually the one played by uh, Jeffrey Combs, is like, keeps sort of like caressing. He creeps well, what can you say? Yeah, and he's like caressing her ears and saying like, they're talking about how they're going to sell them into slavery. And he's like, maybe I won't sell this one into slavery right away. So he's basically saying he's going to rape her. Then uh, Trip finds a hypo spray that he uses to wake her up. And she ends up seducing this Ferengi to get him to let his guard down. So she sort of like starts giving him umox and then gives him a neck pinch. And that's a really, I think, kind of fun scene. Although it's still kind of problematic that like the way that she triumphs in this situation is by seducing this guy. Be in the honey trap. Yeah. yeah. Which she has to do a lot. It feels like anyway. Yeah. What did you think, Sue? I was just rolling my eyes <laughs> a lot in this episode. <laughs> and it's interesting because we, we always hear the Ferengi use female as a noun, right? And I noticed while watching this that the, the Enterprise crew used women and female but not interchangeably. When they were angry and like just trying to bully the Ferengi into leaving them alone, it was leave these women alone. But as soon as they started trying to, you know, play them and, and manipulate them, it was females. And just every time I heard female as a noun, my skin started to crawl. I just, I can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think this was the first time that I really made that connection between that discussion in like our own society, because that is something that I've seen more people on the internet talk about in the past few years is how people have to really stop calling women females because it reduces women to their biology. Sounds like you're talking about like a scientific specimen. The female species, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you watch Acquisition, it is really stark just how 
degrading the term can be. That like, like basically your value is in your reproductive capacity. It's really gross. So I mean, in that way, I think it was kind of effective. That's interesting that the Enterprise crew is using it. It seems like they thought about how they were using it. The writers did. Yeah, at least that's the impression I took from it while I was sadly watching that episode earlier today. <laughs> There's no way to happily watch that episode. <laughs> Exactly. One other thing I thought was really just annoying about that episode is I felt like Archer figured the Ferengi out way too quickly. And like, this is supposed to be the first time they met them and they have no clue who they are. And he only learns two or three facts that they're into profit. They're going to sell these women. And then he's basically able to totally masquerade as a Ferengi. So the stuff that he says, oh, this, this part really bothered me. So I said like Krem, who's the character played by uh, Jeffrey Combs is asking what species T'Pol is. And at this point, she's not unconscious, but she's pretending to be. So Archer says, she's a Vulcan. They're really not all that interesting once you get to know them. And then Krem goes, I'd like to get to know this one. Maybe I won't sell her. Not right away. And then Archer goes, trust me, she's got no sense of humor. She's always complaining. And I'm like, oh, Archer, your crew member is potentially going to be sold into slavery and sexual assault. And you're still like making racist digs at the Vulcans. Good God, Archer, give it a rest. I, yeah. <laughs> anyway. But Archer and even Trip, once once people start to, you know, wake up and are in on the the manipulation of the Ferengi, they're essentially treating them like unintelligent children, mm-hmm. right? Which is the same thing that ends up happening in that TNG episode. They're supposed to be this huge menacing threat that they've never met face to face before. And by the end of the episode, they're treating them like children. But we haven't even talked about that episode yet. It's a pretty bad episode. I think both of us watched it today and that was painful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like I think Armin Shimmerman says in that episode, they actually directed them to jump up and down like crazy gerbils. Gerbils, huh? (laughs) Yeah. That's very specific. But they are kind of flailing their arms about and doing weird things with their hands. Iris Stephen Bear comments that the Ferengi later on are sort of meant to represent their caricatures of humans today, that they exemplify all of humanity's vices. But this, yeah, this idea that they're really stupid, and yet they have this incredible sense of entitlement over women's bodies is really weird to me. It makes it kind of uh, just so creepy. It's actually mentioned twice in the last outpost when I think when they see Tasha Yar and you know you let your women wear clothing it's true kind of stuff and um, it's uh, in that episode I actually I, I think it's I mean it's a terrible episode it's really boring and the villains don't come across as menacing but I don't really mind it in that context because I think the whole point of that episode is there's this god creature who comes down and judges which of them is more civilized and judges is that the Ferengi are basically barbarians. So it's not legitimating that attitude towards women in any way. Yeah, it kind of takes those characteristics um, that they're do- showing, though, as being the Ferengi characteristics that are exaggerated uh, human ones and makes them cartoonish and no longer feel like a real issue. It makes them feel like a joke. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really good point. I definitely don't think it makes you feel like it's something we need to act on in our own society. It's one of those things where if you watch them just doing their whole, you know, jumping up and down, waving their arms around thing, going, oh, a female! Why is she wearing clothes so we cannot see her? That just is like, ah, we're so far past, you know, objectifying women. (laughs) 
Uh, good thing that's not a problem at all, ever. And it's just kind of like, The few times that the Ferengi pop up again in The Next Generation, at least for me, they're kind of an eye roll. You know, great, this is here. They're more of a a nuisance and annoyance than they are any kind of credible threat. And I think if not for Quark and Nog and Rom on Deep Space Nine, they probably would have been brushed aside. Like, I feel like Armin Shimmerman's Quark essentially redeemed them. And even though their culture is still ridiculous, I somehow, I don't know how this happens, I have like this soft spot in my heart for the Ferengi. I think because they are so ridiculous. They're ridiculous, but at the same time, with um, Armin Shimmerman's performance and the way the character was played up in Deep Space Nine, we get this really great Falstaffian quality that he's not that serious. They as a people are not that serious. And that acts as kind of a buffer to the rest of the galaxy. I agree. And I think that it probably helped that they did not have giant cod pieces. Um, which I was just looking up and uh, Gene Roddenberry had told writer Herb Wright to create this nemesis based on sort of issues of the 1980s and uh, Herb Wright chose sort of corrupt capitalism. And uh, in an interview in in Cinefantastique magazine, he says that Gene Roddenberry's quote sex fetish had an influence on the characters and says... Quote, he wanted to put a gigantic codpiece on the Ferengi. He spent 25 minutes explaining to me all the sexual positions the Ferengi could go through. I finally said, Gene, this is a family show on at 7 o'clock on Saturdays. He finally said, okay, you're right. Gene Roddenberry was an interesting guy. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yes. I just had to throw that in there before we got wow. into discussion of the awesome stuff or better stuff in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I have no transition from that. So we'll just move right along um, into Deep Space Nine, where we really start to learn more about Ferengi culture and women in Ferengi culture before any of the reforms that we see begin to happen. Um, there's a lot. There were a lot of rules. The rules of acquisition? Well, there are those. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, ceremony in Ferengi society. It's really interesting how they're portrayed as having their sort of their cultural, government, economic, financial regulation like everything is all in one there's not really a big separation i guess military as well it's all connected well everything's a contract literally everything is a contract in ferengi culture including marriage i mean what do what do we know about the rules for the females ugh, in ferengi culture we know that they couldn't earn profit. Uh, Pell tells us early on, the first Ferengi woman, I'll say it, that we meet, tells us that women on Ferenginar are not allowed to learn to read. But then that is contradicted because mothers are responsible for teaching their sons the rules of acquisition. And we also see uh, Quark's mother, Ishka, claiming to be writing to writing letters to his cousin as if that were no big deal. That's a little odd. They couldn't travel. They couldn't wear clothes. They especially weren't allowed to wear clothes in public that's a little confusing too because there's we learn also they aren't supposed to talk to men who aren't their relatives Mm -hmm. but yet there's the wearing clothes and wearing clothes in public and then later they say if they are allowed to wear clothes then they can go out in public so that's strange but i really love pal pal's great pal is great we are talking about ds9 season 2 episode 7 rules of acquisition so great it is a really good episode in in a litany of bad Ferengi episodes so far. This really is a great one. This is the one where um, Quark is has a new waiter, and this waiter has great business ideas.
does. And then he's sent on this mission for the Grand Nagus and brings this new waiter with him as his consultant. And this new waiter, Pell, turns out to be a woman. She is using fake lobes that she puts over her ears because the women's <laughs> ears are smaller, right? And essentially binding her chest, even though it's never really said in those terms. Yeah, I really like this episode. I think that it's an interesting tension, like Grace was saying, when you're trying to make these things funny, how seriously can you take them in our own society? So, you know, making the Ferengi sexism funny is kind of problematic. It doesn't really encourage you to treat it as a serious issue now. Um, but there's some really good moments in this. And Pell is really the first woman uh, Ferengi that we get to see. And she really challenges Quark's belief that uh, women are naturally bad at business, uh, naturally stupid. So there's a really cool moment in this episode where Dax and Pell are talking and Pell uh, confesses that she's in love with Quark, but Dax still thinks that she's a man. And Dax has picked up on the fact that Pell is in love with Quark and doesn't think that it's at all weird. Is like actually really surprised when Pell says that he doesn't even know I'm a female. And I think that's just a cool understated thing about Dax's openness and uh, not judging um, a same-sex relationship, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I noted the same thing watching that episode. Dax is pretty fantastic. I think because of the nature of that character, uh, the writers could do stuff like that without, I don't know, upsetting perhaps some more conservative viewers at the time. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I think so. I think that the downside, though, I, about this episode is um, I don't really love how Dax is so just amused by the Ferengi sexism. Um, like, there's uh, the beginning of that scene, she's telling Pell about how adorable it was that Quark made this hollowed sweet fantasy of her childhood bedroom or something and then tried to seduce her in it. And I'm going like, that is really gross. That's really gross. And she's just like, oh, ha ha ha. Yeah, that is definitely a weird thing about the Ferengi men that we know. We see this with Quark and Rom and Zek even, that even though they all at some point have these very traditional Ferengi beliefs of, of women should be submissive and not have opinions and be naked all the time, they should chew their food, chew yeah, the men's right. food for them. They all are attracted and and flirt with and hit on, whatever you want to call it, these sometimes aggressive women. Even the Ferengis can't deny it. Yeah, we see Zek flirting with Kira, and Quark is always after Dax, Jadzia Dax specifically, and Rom ends up with Lita. Also his Klingon girlfriend at one point. Yeah, his Quark's Klingon wife. Yeah. And also the Cardassian yeah, right. scientists he's in love with, or the one he's in love with intelligent independent woman like aggressive was not the right word i should say outspoken it's probably confident, confident yeah independent aware certainly not about to take any of the ferengi crap let's just put it that way <laughs> yeah yeah i just kind of wish though so there's a quote in rules of acquisition where kira is saying about the ferengi they're greedy misogynistic untrustworthy little trolls and i wouldn't turn my back on one of them for a second and jezia das goes well neither would i but once you accept that you'll find they can be a lot of fun and <laughs> i mean yeah okay compromise it, yeah i mean the 
I'm you know, not condoning Kira's blanket racism in that quote, but um, yeah. certainly from the way that they treat them, I think today, uh, if I was treated like that, I would hope I would respond a lot more like Kira instead of just being like, oh, boys will be boys. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing from Dax's experience of having, you know, been a man a few times, she has a kind of different perspective on it. You think Dax is a dude, bro? Curzon sounds like he was. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's not going to let being a woman get in the way of her broing out. Sometimes you got to get your bro on. Bros before hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Ten points. Nice. <laughs> so why do you think the Ferengi do uh, you fall for these independent women or the writers choose to have them go that way? Yeah, it could be an exotic concept to them that they're naturally, you know, find kind of exciting and alluring. I was thinking that too, but I think with Quark it might get a little creepy and possibly edible because his yeah, mom is that possible. way. Ishka is definitely not the traditional Ferengi woman, which leads us very well into family business, where we first meet Moogie, season three, episode Moogie. 23. <sighs> I really like this episode, too. I think that it kind of goes up in Deep Space Nine, the Ferengi episodes kind of go up for a bit, and then they go down, at least in terms of the women feminist messages. But yeah. um, this is so great. And Andrea Martin is just hysterical. She is so oh, wonderful. Absolutely. I'm so sad she didn't come back for the other Ishka episodes. But they they put her in a lot of makeup because she is only a couple years older than Armin Shimmerman. So all of that old age stuff, even like her knees and her shoulders and her hands, all of that <laughs> is makeup. Right, because they have a scene where she's naked so she she had to go full body didn't yeah. she which i guess would put you off of playing just about any character if you had to do full body makeup just right yeah. off and the, the, bat. the reason she gave was that the makeup routine was just too much for her yeah she's awesome yeah i think she gives such a strong impression in that episode and there are just so many really comedic moments um i mean it's another example of a ferengi woman who is succeeding at being a ferengi she's earning profits well that would make quirk exceptionally wealthy yeah and uh i love how at the end she sort of you know tricks quark into thinking she tricks everyone into thinking she gave it all back because everyone's yeah. underestimated her and can't believe she really earned as much as she did um but yeah. she actually is holding back like a third of it for herself except rom <laughs> rom knows the truth because yes. he's he loves his mom too much to tattle on her yeah. Yeah, but I think that's also the episode where she sort of tells Quark, you're like me, like you're the one who has the head for business and, and or the lobes for business. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's really cute. I mean, there are quite a few examples of her, you know, saying she's going to do something and then at the end sort of deciding, like originally she says she's not giving any of it back on principle. She won't give any of the money back. But then it, at the end she does because it'll ruin Quark. But I mean, I think that given the arc of her character, it makes sense. It's strategic that she would make that decision. And it's cool that she was still kind of gaming the system by keeping some of the money. Well, she it wasn't about the money money in that situation. It wasn't, no, I'm not going to give it back because I want to keep the money. It was, I'm not signing this confession because if I confess to something, it means I was doing something wrong. And I don't believe that I've been yeah. doing anything wrong. And I think that's the important part for that character. Yeah, I agree. It's more about making a stand than making profit for her. Yeah, although certainly she wants to keep the profit and she wants to succeed as a Ferengi in terms of earning profit. And we get to see that more in Ferengi Love Songs, which is, I think is her next big one, uh, where this, we find out Zekka's 
losing his memory and they're in love and she's been acting as his financial advisor. And in that one, she, again, is still like very much counseling what we know as typical sort of Ferengi rules of acquisition and business ethics and profits being up being the main thing. What do you guys think of uh, Cecily Adams in the role? I don't think she's that bad. I just think she's not Andrea Martin. Well, it would take Andrea Martin to be Andrea Martin, but all things considered, she carries the role. Yeah, she serves it well. So now that Ishka is with Zach, now that they're a couple, she can sort of influence from the inside, which she is. Zach doesn't seem to have a problem with her being clothed. He has no problem trusting her to give him financial advice, to keep track of his day planner, to, we get the impression, remember his passwords, right? But then Quark decides he's going to, with under the influence of, of Liquidator or former Liquidator or whatever at that point, Brunt. Jeffrey Combs again. Uh-huh. Quark decides he's going to break up this relationship and convinces Zek that she has this evil plan to take over the Ferengi government. <laughs> She's a member of the feminist Illuminati. <laughs> exactly. So that the, the females will take over. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> but this this right here is a really good example of why I love Ishka so much as a character. That they have to resort to that kind of ridiculous mudslinging to bring her down. And it just really makes you appreciate that of this entire species and culture, there is one really great Machiavellian. And it's this middle-aged woman. (laughs) And that just makes me so happy. Because think of your concept of a Machiavellian character and how often you get to see that be a woman, much less an older woman. And just getting that variety and just the character of Ishka herself, just it it compounds to make me so happy. Yeah, it's pretty great. I kind of wish it's it's cool at the end, Quark basically starts having to act as his financial advisor and he's just doing a terrible job at it and realizes he really needs Ishka. And and uh, brings Ishka back and Ishka explains that she's still been giving all of this good advice. And Ishka says, you know, that I do believe in equality for females and someday I hope you will too, but I never would do anything to hurt you. So like, I'm not going to overthrow your government. So I thought that was, it was interesting and it kind of makes me question the directions things go after this, but um, yeah. I like where she's going in a way that she is, I think she is conniving, but she also you know, she deeply cares about Quark, Rom, and Zach all in kind of different ways. Yeah. You can be pulling strings without pulling them maliciously. Yeah. But then the next time we see her is in The Magnificent Ferengi. Oh, I love that episode. It doesn't have a lot to do with this, but it's a it's a really fun episode. Oh. It is a really fun episode. I just think it's kind of disappointing. Like, it, it disappoints me the same way that the Deep Space Nine, Luax, and a Troy episodes do, where you had this woman who was incredibly tough, and then you put her in a position where she's kind of a victim who needs to be saved by men. Yeah, that's yeah. my only real caveat with the episode. We have to see this awesome character get just completely damselfied. But there's one thing that you've got to love about Ishka, and that's the fact that even when she's being held captive by the Jem'Hadar, she's still trying to work some business into it. Like, she's talking, she's like, so what? feel my skin, feel this great moisturizer I use, you will love it. She's doing the whole Mary Kay thing while she's being held captive. And that's pretty impressive. That is true. Although, I wish that in the end they hadn't just left a reanimated corpse bumping into a wall. I assume until it decays. I'm assuming that it was an allusion to Magnificent Seven, but um, the well, yeah, like yeah. hanging body, but the curse of combs. You can't do anything without making a reanimator reference. <laughs> <laughs> 
I also, I have mixed feelings about the reason they have to go rescue Ishka, which is that basically she got special dispensation to go get a lobe lift. And so I think it's cool because it shows that your feminist identity isn't dependent on your personal appearance. Like you can care about your appearance and still be a feminist. But it it does, I think, not really sound great that then this whole like crew of Frankie men have to put their lives in danger to save a woman who got kidnapped going for plastic surgery. It's not the most dig- Dignified way to get captured, definitely. It would have been like way cool if she was doing like an underground deal or something that went awry, but no, this is what we get. I think the really funny part in that episode that she gets to do though is because they, uh, when they're going to pick her up, like, how do we know you weren't really a changeling? And Nog like takes a knife and cuts her hand. And then when they let her go, she just like smacks Nog yeah. and it's great. And like yeah. p- pinches his lobes and he's like screaming. That's and then fantastic. she's like, Are you a changeling? How do we know you're not a changeling? <laughs> That's not an effective way to tell. Just as only Andrea Martin can Andrea Martin, only Ishka can Ishka. We move on to the elephant in the recording? Might as well. <sighs> The next time we see Ishka, and Zek, for that matter, is in Prophets and Lace. You can all just mentally insert that sad trombone sound right now. (laughs) It's a season six episode towards the end of the season, and it actually doesn't start off that bad, right? Zek and Ishka show up and they are telling Quark and Rom about all of the changes that have been made on Franginar. Uh, women are wearing clothes in public, they are working, they are buying, but on the other hand, that has led to Zek being deposed. Oh no! <laughs> so in order to help him regain the, whatever the Nagus throne is called, uh, the, the the Latinum throne? The Nagusery, I don't know. Uh, the Tower of Commerce. The lobe beanbag chair. Yeah, so they have to win over Nilva. Isn't that what his name is? Nilva, the chairman of Sluggo Cola. Mm-hmm, yeah. oh, and they have to repeatedly sing that gym. Slimiest cola in the galaxy. <laughs> well, it's just adorable when, you know, everyone's sitting at a table and they say Sluggo Cola and they all just spontaneously sing Sluggo Cola. <laughs> it's pretty cute. <laughs> And so their plan is to show that Ishka has this amazing business sense so that he'll support these reforms and people will start to see them in a different light. But then Quirk yells at his mom until she has a heart attack. This is how you treat your mother. He's never going to live that <laughs> down. And you know what? I'm kind of glad that she has that to lord over him forever. And actually, Quirk is pretty extra terrible in the beginning yeah. of this episode because he is talking to one of his, I guess, Ooh, waitresses. This is so She's gross. not a Girl. Yeah. yeah. And he's essentially saying, you're so nice and you're so great, but it would be better if you did me sexual favors. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is straight up sexual harassment, yeah. which like, even if that's allowed in Ferengi culture, it's so like, you're not on a Ferengi space station, you're on a Federation space station, and I'm pretty sure that that's going to be against the rules. Yeah, so then basically they have to still prove that a woman can do business, so they give Quark sex reassignment surgery. Rather than try and track down a competent woman. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, call it Pell. They claim that there's not enough time Mm -hmm. to get another woman there. Are are they saying that it's faster to perform a sex change than it is to find an actual woman? In the 24th century. There was Pell. There was Pell at the beginning of Deep Space Nine. What happened to Pell? Couldn't they have found Pell? This would have been a great place for Pell to come back. Yeah. Because instead what happens is that 
But Cork saves the day while Ishka is out in sick bay, which is she starts out sort of the main character in her story. And then she ends up having to get her ass saved by Quark all the time. And it just Quark saves the day, but not without being super sexist. Oh yeah. my gosh. There are all these jokes because he's now a woman, quote unquote, that, oh, he's tired and he has to go to bed early and he's just too dumb to understand it. And like an overly emotional and all of these like really offensive stereotypes. Yep. Yeah. He takes hormones Ugh. for two days and he is sobbing to Odo at the end of it. And uh, it's just, and oh, and he also discovers empathy because <laughs> empathy <laughs> just gets switched on with estrogen. It's like, it's an incredible oversimplification yeah. of biological and socialization processes that basically just plays to the negative stereotypes about women and treating trans people as jokes. Well, he also gets assaulted at one point almost, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, and that's played off as being funny too. Not just assault, but attempted rape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are lots of problems with this episode. So many problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, treating um, sexual assault against men is a joke is very common and it's really not cool. And then at the end, yeah. he sort of is like, oh, I discovered empathy from being a woman, you know, a waitress. Maybe I don't actually care about the sexual favors. And then she's like are you sure because umox looks really fun and he's like i'm sure Uh, you deserve more than that and then he rethinks it and kind of chases after her but it's like oh seriously wow (laughs) there's just a lot of things that are played off as a joke that make it really uncomfortable to watch and i also just feel sorry for alexander siddig who held out to for a spot to direct on deep space nine and this was what he got and apparently he directed it actually a lot darker and they made him redo a bunch of it because they wanted it to be Aww. funnier and him and Armin Shimmerman just didn't think it was funny. And it wasn't, except for the Slugo Cola. Yeah. It was just uncomfortable. But like also the way that Quark as Lumba markets Slugo Cola to women is it kind of challenges the idea that capitalism can work in favor of women's rights because basically they argue that, well, you have to reach out to women because women don't like slimy things. So what you need to do is to say, Sligo Cola keeps your teeth that lovely shade of green um, so that women are image obsessed. Again, it's just like you have to market differently to women based on gender stereotypes um, as a way of proving that women can be better better at business. So this whole episode is pretty much just saying broads, dames, bitches, they're not so bad, right? Women, men can do it better. Yeah. So does it get better after that? (laughs) Oh, kind of. Does it not get worse after that, at least? <laughs> it certainly does not get worse. I don't think you can get worse than that episode, really. I mean, that's just... That's a low right there, so... The last time, then, that we see Ishka is in the second to last, if you count the finale as one episode, the two-parter, episode of DS9 called The Dogs of War. And we hear from Zek because he and Ishka have decided to retire. They're going to go live on Risa, and he is coming to Deep Space Nine to name his successor to the Grand Nagus chair, Tower of Commerce. I'm just imagining an iron throne made out of dollar signs. The Nagus is still sort of, there. there's a lot of static on the transmission and we know his memory is not that great. So he thinks he's talking to Rom and says, I'm naming you my next, the, my successor. And Quark thinks it's him and then begins to find out about all of the continued reform on Franginar and is just like before, not that happy about it. 
And these are things like the introduction of taxes, which are used to fund social programs. I just love that these are all like really obviously good and progressive things that he's objecting to, because God forbid you have the character actually start to evolve by the time your show ends. It's just interesting. They're, the, the things they name specifically are subsidies for the poor, retirement benefits for the elderly, um, health care, you know, <laughs> bribes are tax deductible. You get a receipt yeah. for a bribe, which is hilarious. And, and the Grand Nagus, too, does not have unilateral power. There is a Congress of Economic Advisors. So in a very short time, you know, between the beginning of, of DS9 and the last season in seven years, the culture has almost completely changed or as or is at least starting to. Yeah, I mean, and actually, you could say yeah. even really within only three or four years since Ishka yeah, hooked definitely. up with Zek, because before that, they weren't really changing much. Like, Ishka was really just doing stuff by herself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think of it in terms of if we see Pell, who is disguising herself as a man to go and earn profit, there must be other women on Franganar doing the same thing. That's right? true. Yeah, definitely. Just like they, we know about a certain number of women who went and fought in the, the wars in America when women weren't allowed to fight. But because yeah. we have a certain number that are confirmed, we can suspect that there were X amount more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure how I feel about basically it turning from just sort of a women can earn profit into a full scale sort of social democratic revolution. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't buy it could happen that quickly. The Ferengi were so attached to their profit in every aspect of their lives to like buying towels when someone comes into their house and to wipe off the rain, that it's basically also their religion that I don't actually buy that there wouldn't have been bloodshed over those kinds of changes. (laughs) Absolutely. And they make it seem like the Congress of Economic Advisors is totally on board with this progressive attitude. Well, imagine what kind of people they would have instated into that level of power with Ishka's level of Machiavellianism. True. You know that that Congress was planted. But like when when Quirk says, I'm going to change this and I'm going to change this, Brunt's like, you're going to have a hard time changing it because you have to go through these people now. Mm -hmm. So it's suddenly that Quirk is the one who is behind the times. Yeah, and there's also like a species protection act and like environmental law and it fits with that overall idea of you know the Ferengi are supposed to be us in the 20th 21st century and here's where we hope they're gonna get so it fits Uh with that but I didn't buy it based on where Ishka and Pell were going which is like just the you know we kind of want to be as good as the men um, at doing at being what it is to be a Ferengi which is to earn profit I mean, like, I, I have my own views on, I think that the amount that you could liberate women in a capitalist society is always going to be somewhat limited. But I just didn't buy it. You would actually go from just like letting women open businesses to having a full-scale democratic socialist revolution. And then they make Rom the Grand Negus. Yeah, I was gonna say, much less with Rom in charge. I think what's really funny to me is having watched all of these episodes we're talking about in a condensed time period, back in Rules of Acquisition, back in season two, Rom's the one who's totally offended that Pell is a woman, right? He's the one freaking out and wants to report everyone to everything, and Quark is okay with it. He's not happy about it but he's like oh you do know what you're doing go and do your thing just don't do it here right but by the end quark has almost like regressed 
in his way of thinking. And Ram is the progressive one, right? He's just like, well, whatever makes Lita happy and whatever my son wants to do if he wants to join Starfleet. And I'm all for everyone being happy with what they're doing. So Ram is the character that learns and Quark gets to be the crotchety old guy who's afraid of change. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, I mean, Ram and Nog both go through a dramatic change that kind of happens a bit inexplicably, but I think for the better. Um, And they're both really cool characters in showing that, you know, between the three of them with Quark, it shows three very different models of Ferengi masculinity, which is is very cool. But Rom has never, as all of his strengths that he has, he's never shown himself to be decisive. Except when it comes to root beer. Like in Ferengi love songs, O'Brien just says something offhandedly and suddenly he's asking Lita for a prenup. And uh, then I forget who else says something offhandedly and then he realizes he's made a horrible mistake. So he's very easily swayed by other people and I don't see him, I think he would probably get assassinated within a month. And O'Brien is the last person you want to take marital advice from. Yeah. Pretty much. Let's be real. (laughs) I think the only way that Rom would survive being in charge is if he was just constantly being fed information by Ishka, which would probably be uh, the way she would want to retire, I think. Well... (laughs) He She's has, not really retiring. He has his, his council of advisors, and they said in one of the many episodes that I've watched this weekend that only one Nagus has ever been assassinated. And I think that was when a market crashed or something, some, some kind of economic upheaval. Well, all the other ones could probably afford to pay off their assassins. Right, I guess. But you'd think, it seems anyway, that the, the culture is already moving in that direction, that yeah. Rom would make kind of sense. But Rom has never really had a ton of common sense, at least what they've shown us, even if he's apparently a brilliant engineer. So it's going to be, it, it would be odd. It would be very odd. <laughs> it's just one of those kind of, it's a time of change. We just need a, a nice, kind of oblivious guy in charge. He's the Jimmy Carter of the Ferengi. <laughs> Nice, but kind of oblivious. My personal choice, I think Powell would have been the great Grand Nagus. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but then Ishka couldn't have had her line about a woman ascending the 40 flights of stairs to the Tower of Commerce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Ishka dreams about a woman one day being Grand Nagus, and it would make a lot more sense to me for it to be a business-minded woman than a man who has no lobes for business, as even Ishka says numerous occasions. And from her previous conversations with Quark, it's like she acknowledges Rom isn't very good at this. Again, that makes the whole thing make more sense if you think that Rom is probably going to be a political puppet. Yeah, it's too bad. I yeah. like Rom. Yeah. That's also another episode where Quark is has sort of a thing for a Dabo girl. Um, so it shows that like Quark doesn't always go for the more independent women, but... Uh, I think like the ones he has more meaningful attachments to, he certainly does, but he still also uh, sees women in his employment as uh, sex objects, I think. Yeah, which is ick. It would have been nice to see him grow a little more. Yeah. I was uh, just reading this thing about Ishka, though, going back to when they first wrote about her. And uh, apparently the director, David Livingston, said he suggested Wallace Shawn in drag, which didn't go over real big. No. So that would have been so awful. Yeah. Awful. Anyway. Just wanted to point that in because, yeah, no, that's super not cool. Like, it would have been, like, profit and lace times, well, like, at least as bad. Yeah. Oh, man. Can you imagine? I I am, and I'm feeling ill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like, it just would have, again, made made it a joke. Well, as we sit here lamenting that Pell did not return, she does appear in 
a few places in, it's not the expanded universe in Star Trek, but I don't know what to call it, in the books, in a nice. novella called Reservoir Ferengi, and an ebook. <laughs> Get this, called Lust's Latinum Lost and Found. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. So Is it a Ferengi bodice ripper? Because that's what it sounds like. They I, I read the summary and she is helping them to publish like book number seven in a Ferengi bodice ripper series. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Grace is gonna go buy this ebook. <laughs> like right now. I want that. That sounds insane. <laughs> that is the weirdest thing I've heard. Well, that is nearly purging my brain of the thought of Wallace Shawn and drag. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm weirded out by it, but it, I'm, I don't. I don't even know how to feel. Oh. I need. I need to find this. Wow. Because <laughs> so, now I'm imagining what this whole wider world of species-specific, like, uh, smut fiction must be like out there. Like, is there a Harlequin romance novel equivalent for every species? And if so, how are they unique? What do they look like? How flowy is the dude's hair on the cover of the book? And with that, <laughs> does anyone have anything else to add to this discussion? I could really go for some Sluggo Cola right now. I spent a lot of time today an embarrassing amount of time actually trying to think up feminist rules of acquisition for like the rom ruled uh, Ferengi Ooh, society. Yeah. Um, but the only thing I could come up with was a woman needs a man like a tube grub needs a tooth sharpener. I love it. So um, if readers have any other suggestions for Ferengi feminist rules of acquisition, I think you should send them to us because I want to read them and compile them and make a book. <laughs> Yeah. And how can they get in touch with us if they want us to read those? Well, you can find us online at womenatwarp.com and now in the iTunes store. Yay! By, Woo! Yay! by uh, searching for Women at Warp, um, you can send us those feminist rules of acquisition to crew at womenatwarp.com. You can tweet them to us at Women at Warp. And you can follow us on Facebook, join the discussion there, facebook.com slash women at work. And if you are enjoying the show, we would love for you to rate us and review the podcast on iTunes, which will bump up our ranking and help other people find the show. That would be awesome. So, Grace, where can everybody find you? Everyone can find me on Twitter at, at @bonecrusherjank. You can read my writing on the Mythcreants blog or listen to past episodes that I've done of All Things Trek on Trek Radio. You can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. Awesome. I'm Sue, and you can find more podcasts and blogs from me on anomalypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Spay and neuter your tribbles. Moogie! <laughs> Spay and neuter your voles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good to see you, son. You look well. And you look dressed. Oh, now, now. Your mother is wearing clothes. Mother, get undressed this instant. Hello, Quark. You haven't changed a bit. Perhaps I should leave. Perhaps you should. What, was she addressing me? No, 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 not at all. Of course I was. This is my home, and I'll speak to whomever I want. But, Mookie, he's a stranger, and you're a female. It's all right, Rom. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs>